Hey guys, you're listening to Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man, the podcast where life issues and the Bible collide. We hope you enjoy today's topic and are encouraged to do some musing yourself. Thanks for listening. Ooh, listener land, the button has been clicked. We are ready to roll. I am Preacher Man, and that's Townsend. Hey, and y'all. if if my memory serves me, I think I even said the name of this podcast wrong last week. I was so confused. I think you did. <laughs> it's Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man, and we chose that order on purpose because somebody said it sounded better that way. And I'm pretty sure my brain was fighting against me. You know, last week I was so yes. discombobulated, and it's because I my mouth was trying to say Musings with Preacher Man and Townsend, and that's not right. It's the other way around. And but I'm who, so proud of us for knows? keep on keeping. Yes, on. I refuse we to click stop. It. I know how to edit these things, but I ain't gonna because we're it's it's a stream of consciousness. Yep, us and every citizen of listener land. The good, and the so bad, that's, the ugly. That's exactly right. And if you're willing to stick around and stick through all that ridiculousness, then you you just part of the fam now. So we couldn't be more happy to be here with you and are thankful for you being here. Super super excited about this topic. In fact. Some of you may listen to this who knows what day and when, but it will be officially live on one of the most significant days in the Christian calendar and in the history of humanity, because this one's going live on Good Friday. And that is, in all fairness, both a proper name and a strange name for a day that held within it so much hope and and darkness. So. It's the Easter season. It has been. And so just like Christmas before us, we want to get real and get serious about Easter. I'm super excited to hear Townsend share because I don't mean to sound funny, but I'm proud of her and watching her grow, not just as a wife and woman, but in her faith. And so when she thinks about the real of Easter and all that stuff, she's going to already know Preacher Man's opinion because I tell everybody. I'm like the anti-holiday guy. And I got the boss lady in here as well, so she can shake her head and amen, and you might even be able to hear it at some point, but I am all annoying, I think is fair to say. I just wanted to see if she was going to say amen and people hear it when I said that. <laughs> no, but I just, I, I'm probably overly annoying about holidays, but there are two that really, sometimes it just rubbed me wrong the way we get, we get them treated around here, and Christmas is the first, and Easter might even be worse, but but we work with what we got, and what That's we got right. today is this time, these microphones and you guys. So again, thankful for you being here. So much appreciate you being a part of our community. Let's get started. What is it about Easter? Everybody knows what Easter is. It's America. We know Easter. It's on our calendars. It's auto-populated in my iPhone's calendar. I didn't even have to put it in there. But what is Easter about for most people? Well, about hunting Easter eggs. I mean, our children look forward to that stuff and the Easter bunny and gifts and the whole spring celebration of of new life and warmer weather coming and the things that, I mean, it's fine to feel excited about spring and it's fine to feel excited about the ideas around what we think Easter is to an extent. But, you know, I grew up in a household where, um, we celebrated Christmas and Easter very traditionally. Uh-huh. Um, there was a Santa Claus. There was an Easter bunny. Yeah. Um, and I really, up until the last few years, didn't see much reason to be against that. I, hmm. I could see reasons 
to maybe not necessarily be full-blown cray-cray like some people are with it and do the elves on the shelves and nonsense <laughs> oh, like that yes. and bunnies on the I don't know what. But yeah. um, so I, I just I didn't see a huge reason to worry so much about how it was celebrated up until the last several years. And I can now contribute my feelings about that. I despise Santa and I despise the Easter Bunny. That's not my um, fault, is it? Well, I don't know, but I do. I don't I don't okay. want um my child to have her picture made with either one of them. Um I don't want a cake with little eggs on it and I don't want um you know, I don't mind necessarily an Easter egg hunt because uh-huh. you know, we just had one of those on Saturday and um one of the eggs had a lamb inside of it and one of the eggs was shaped like a tomb and when she opened it Jesus came out and that changed my mind on easter eggs in that moment yes i didn't know i didn't know they did that well she literally <laughs> in that moment in the car and i took pictures of her and and sent it to some people who had who had given her that gift and I said, you know, this was so special to her because she literally exclaimed as soon as she opened that egg, no one said anything to her. And she said, Jesus, Yeah. you know, she knew who it was. And I thought in that moment, we were able to take a, a what was a pagan idea, something yeah. that came from an idea that many people don't know the history of it. Yeah. Many people have no idea and turned it into something that was such a teaching cho- tool for my child who enjoyed it, loved it. And, and I thought that is the way we could turn things around. Right. And real simple. I mean, the Jesus little stuffed man, it was not complex. It was no. so simple yes. and so almost just not silly is not the right word. It's just cute. And, and, uh, Somebody walked up to me. Everybody around here knows, you know, that's the Scrooge over there who's going to be like Easter eggs, uh, you know. And I, but I, I play along because I love people. He's a good sport. But, I'll hand uh, it to him. Uh, somebody came over and said, "Hey, they are all getting this egg," and and it looked like a rock. And I'm like, "What is this?" And I opened it and I saw that little little stuffed Jesus smiling at me. And I was like, "Okay, we can have Easter egg hunts from now on as long as <laughs> as long as this egg is involved." Yeah. I mean, it was just so. Then they brought me the one that says he lives, and you open it. There's a little lamb in there, and I'm just like, you know, I'll take it. I, I, you know, I, I get. And in fact, you know, I would say in that moment, and I know nobody would would be like, oh, I would have thought the same thing. I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable being the weirdo, but uh, it really did make me think about the attitude that everyone involved in the early church probably had when they were connecting these holidays with Christian things. It's like, yes. I can try to make use of this to to bring your passion into focus on God. Yes. I mean, we take things <clears throat> that are evolving every single day in our society, whether it's technology or the way we approach things, and we bring our Christianity into light and we find ways to glorify God in those right. things. Yeah. And so there are ways that we can do that that involve some traditional Easter and Christmas and whatever holidays that that can teach our young children. Right. Um, but I think, and, and this is kind of stepping out there and I am going to offend some people, you know, we're not talking to an audience of 12 and under children. No. We're talking to adults. And you guys... You guys need to wake up. Mm. Um, You don't celebrate Easter that way, and you shouldn't celebrate Easter that way. And if you're wanting to use those as training tools for your children, 
I, that is the more power to you. Those right. eggs were genius. That was a, a great way for me to, to help teach my three-year-old. Mm-hmm. But for heaven's sakes, if she's 33 and still only focused on the rabbit and the egg right. and has no concept of what the actual Easter day meant yeah. for our human lives and the sacrifice, I, I just I sincerely hope that she's grown in her faith so far past that that she almost feels like we do, burdened by the idea that our society doesn't. Right. Well, that's I guess that's <clears throat> sorry guys. That that's what makes me that Scrooge is I, I, I tend to obsess over where we've allowed the focus of the day to go. Yes. You know, the I, I get it and I understand people have said to me so many times, we just we just want to we the fun of Santa Claus but we also incorporate the truth of the birth of Christ. That's good, but who gets more airtime? Yep. In even in the story, you know, we don't ask kids, you know, who whose birthday are we celebrating as much as we ask them what Santa Claus bringing you. And and really and truly if we're fair, we just take Santa Claus out and put the Easter bunny in because it's what did the Easter bunny bring you. It's all the same sort of yes. idea. And I, I also feel like that was the unintended consequence of those early church fathers that were unifying this pagan practice with their Christian ide- ideals to try to bring, you know, when Constantine legalizes Christianity, he doesn't just make being Christian legal when it had been illegal and persecutable. He also requires every Roman to be Christian. By choice, it does not matter. You have to be Christian now. So you are flooding the church with people who do not believe. What they do believe is in very pagan things that don't belong in Christianity. Absolutely. The church, in, if I'm trying to be fair, was doing the best they could to, to find out a way to take what they were already doing and tie it into something that was true. I, I admire that. Yes, because they the... were trying to persuade a new way of thinking. <clears throat> yes. They were trying to turn hearts around and, and shift the focus. But we <laughs> We've... we are 2,000 years on the other side of that, yes. and so we're very far past, and now we just don't we don't really support the difference. I mean, well, I, we've I've, turned instead of turning the half circle and placing our eyes exactly where they were intended to be. We've just kept right on turning and our eyes are looking completely away right, from where they should right. be. And, and so uh, we're so familiar with things that are untrue that we no longer see what is true. And that's where maybe as a minister, I don't know, but as a pastor, as a disciple, my, my juice gets to, sort of boiling when I think about what's actually said to me in the Bible about what takes place on Good Friday, on Maundy Thursday. You know, when I read those things and see actually what's there and dig a little and not not let it be artistic. You know, everybody, when you think of the crucifixion, the imagery that you that you have in your head is com- is communicated there by art. You know, so you see a Renaissance painting of a very clean very physically healthy Jesus hanging on a very tall cross. He has no blemish and no spot on him probably except for a single wound on his side. That is not at all what reality is. But you it's know, when I watched the Passion of the Christ, um I was mm-hmm. a teenager and my parents went it was a church yeah, affiliated. It was, a big deal. Yeah. It, it was a church affiliated deal and you know, I can remember thinking 
someone should have better prepared me for this. Yeah. yeah. Someone should have told me the truth. Right. I left there and it scarred me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I left there bawling my eyes out. I mean, telling you that I, it takes me back to the feeling of not knowing that that's really what happened mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that is such a shame. It is such a shame that we, we, pretty things up so much right. to the point that we take away from what he did for us. Yeah. Again, again, that's another thing that came from a place of good intention. But I know you've heard before, the road to hell has a certain type of pavement, and it's always referenced as good intentions. Yeah. Artists during the Renaissance period believed, honestly, that to depict the Christ in some destructive sort of diminished way actually was sinful. It was demeaning to the Lord. And so part of how they depict him is is out of reverence. But the truth is what Romans would have done. The truth is the condition of Jesus's body, uh, what he would have been wearing, what the temperature would have been like that time of year. And it goes so far as to try to understand more clearly what exactly his cross looked like. Because many, <laughs> I've seen one painting, and I can't remember who or, or when. Believe it or not, when you take certain seminary classes, this is the kind of stuff that some folks make you look at. One painting, the cross that Jesus was crucified on was so tall in the painting, the painting was literally more vertical than horizontal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the painting had to be taller than it was wider because this cross was so gigantic. And literally, you could look at it and think, how would they have even gotten him up there? Again, coming from a place of good intention, Jesus's cross is always higher than the two thieves out of respect. Nothing in the Bible says that Jesus's crucifixion was any different than those two men. Oh, absolutely. But in art, when I was a child, I always believed, and I I don't necessarily know where it came from other than in a church setting. Yes. Jesus was nailed to the cross, but the other two guys were tied. And the idea that was presented to me was, the nailing was more severe, so Jesus got it worse than anybody. Well, that's not biblical. That may sound very pastorly, like it's giving me some idea of the weight and significance of his death, but <laughs> I, I hope I'm saying this correctly. His, his, the weight and importance and significance of his death doesn't need any help. You know, it's significant on its own. Absolutely. And the fact that he <clears throat> knew it was coming was such a huge aspect of that that we all take for granted yeah. as well. Well, you know, it's crazy to me. When you read Matthew's account of this time period in Jesus's life, he knows Judas is his betrayer. He's already sent him off and said, that what you must do, go and finish it. And when Judas comes and says, hey, rabbi, and gives him a kiss, Jesus calls him his friend. That's really so much of the interaction between Jesus and Judas is interesting to me. He washed Judas's feet. He knows he's already betrayed him. He he passes the bread and the cup to him during the Last Supper. He knows he's already betrayed him. I mean, it's, you know... Why didn't he kick him out? <laughs> but he did. But let, let, let me get a little serious because I don't expect Townsend to have all of this memorized, and I don't want her to have to. I'll be the guy that says the things that we don't want to talk about. In I'm just looking for my own edification at Mark chapter 15. That's where Mark is talking about Jesus having been turned over to Pilate, and then Pilate presents him to the people, and Pilate says, all right, who do you want? You know, it's this time of year, we always release one prisoner. Do you want Barabbas, this murderer and bad, nasty dude? Or do you want this Jesus? You know, you're, you, you can choose. Pilate's looking for a way out. He doesn't want a riot. He, he, he doesn't care one bit 
about Jesus. He doesn't care about Barabbas. He doesn't care about the Jews. He doesn't want Caesar to be angry at him for have riot breaking out in Judea. So he's hoping that by giving them the chance to pick the innocent man, that, that it will placate the crowd. <clears throat> and you, I'm sure you know that uh, they pick Barabbas, and they say they want Jesus crucified. Pilate even says, what has he done? What, what evil has this man done? And they just keep crying out, crucify him. And so Mark records for us that Pilate wants to satisfy the crowd, so he releases Barabbas first. And then there's just, it's not even a verse. It's not even half a verse. It is just a tiny statement. After having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, you mentioned the passion of the Christ. That is probably, for most people, their first sort of foray or experience of what a Roman scourging would have been like, right? What you need to know is that this was a very refined, and I mean that specifically, the, the Romans were very professional in everything they did. And they were also very, very, almost in their culture, it was this obsession of how can you do it as efficiently as possible. So they absolutely love the marble buildings of the Greeks, but marble is expensive and mega heavy. So you can also just make a concrete column and put a layer of marble on the outside. Boom. Nobody knows the difference. Roman, super efficient. And what they're really good at is torture and execution in these, in these settings. So when he's scourged, that means that someone takes Jesus and most likely strips him nude. Now, every normally every painting of this, every depiction of this, including Mel Gibson's because he's not trying to get an X-rated movie, is going to have Jesus wearing some version of a cloth pair of underpants or what sort of kind of looks like a diaper almost. But in truth, the Romans, part of the scourging is about humiliation. And there's probably not much as humiliating as having to be naked in front of a bunch of strangers. So when Jesus is, whether he was strapped to some sort of large uh, pillar or one, it most likely would have been in a way that caused him to bend over in some fashion so that his back would be as fully as exposed as possible. But I honestly believe for me to grasp the full weight of glory on display during the Easter season, I need to know that he was naked. I need to know that nothing was left undone. And, you know, the thing is, until you've pointed that stuff out, because you've taken the time and researched and knew, and I mean, you've had actual pieces of things that were used. I mean, you've shown us things in the congregation that kind of opens our eyes to that. But until that stuff was, I was really made aware of that. You can't. I mean, it tugs at your heart in a way that you've just never thought of before when you think of your Savior mm-hmm. standing there naked. Because he's not just a man. He's not this just is, a man. We're talking about God in flesh. And he's allowed himself. having the. He tells Pilate, he says, you don't understand who's in charge here. <laughs> just a word. I could have an uncountable number of angels down here to take care of my business. So this is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. And he has willingly allowed himself to be stripped naked like this on my behalf. And then the beating begins. Now he's going to be struck with a, first, they probably would have whipped him with what we would call reeds or cane poles. But that's like the warm up. See, this is a period of human history in which these sorts of things were seen as entertainment. 
And so this is just building up the suspense, the entertainment factor of a guy being scourged and on some level, hey, what do we want to do today? Oh, yeah, I think they're going to beat that guy. Let's go watch. And sadly, we're almost finding that, ourselves. Now you're taking the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. <clears throat> we we're, we're willingly watching things like culture and decency being beaten to death. And we're like, hey, let's go watch that. Straight up for entertainment. Yeah. You're right. And so eventually a man whose profession this is on some level, and I don't mean like he's a professional executioner. All of these guys involved are Roman soldiers, but normally it's this guy is always the one we call on to do this job. He's going to have with him something called a flagrum. A Roman flagrum is a a single-handed handled object, and it's going to have leather coming off of it. And in that leather is going to have pieces of lead, pieces of bone, uh, pieces of, you know, sort of spiky, just scrap stuff tied into the knots of the strings of leather. And they're going to lash that at Jesus's back. But we need to remember that Isaiah tells us he was beaten in such a way as to be unrecognizable as a man. Now, much has been discussed on what that might mean. But I want you to know that they wouldn't have just done his back. They most likely would have rolled him. Well, it, it, they wouldn't even maybe, maybe have had to roll him over. Literally, the contorting as as Jesus just naturally tries to avoid the pain, his his front is going to become exposed as well. Plus, the guy doing this isn't really aiming with care about, oh, I've already hit that spot. I don't want to hit it again. Uh, so in this sense, the Gibson movie does do a good depiction of how they literally are attempting to beat this man to death. And we do have historical record that says many Roman prisoners who were not even scheduled to be crucified, just slated for scourging, didn't survive it. That it was so violent and so harmful to the body. We're not talking about tiny little drops of blood. We're talking about skin being flayed, literally ripped open, muscle and tendon being exposed to the air, bones being visible, Every painting I've ever seen is of an uninjured man, and the Bible tells me that every inch of his body bore some injury, so that when the passages come and tell me that they wrapped him them in camel hair, sometimes I've had a paper cut and accidentally just touched my computer desk in the wrong way, and it just burns like fire. Imagine your whole body, head to toe, is an open wound. And you have a, a camel hair robe put on you. Now, I'm literally looking at an image that an artist with great care has drawn. It's got two Roman soldiers and Pilate. And Jesus in this image looks like a guy on a healthy protein diet. Looks like he deadlifts about 350 pounds. He's got a shaved, trimmed beard. He's wrapped in purple. And there is a single trickle of blood running down his bicep. And, you know, I want to take this moment to add in the fact that some people in their lifetime will never know what it actually feels like to maybe hold a whip in your hand or or, you know, have to discipline something. And so from coming from me and and my better half in the realm of horses and having thirteen hundred pound animals that sometimes you have to mm-hmm. do that kind of thing mm-hmm. with. You can multiply in your mind any force that you've ever executed toward that animal. 
and put your savior, savior in its place. And so for those people who we sit comfortably in our living rooms and try to imagine it, there's no way to mm-hmm. because of the type painting that you're looking at, that single little trickle of blood running down and and not really having an idea of the the amount of just effort that it took from both sides. Right. And I think minus the reverence part of how he's depicted in art, our minds don't want to think about it because I don't want to confess. I'm telling you this is a problem I still have. Me too. I don't want to confess that it was my fault. Yep. All of I may that as well have just been fault. standing there whipping right. myself. Yep. So he has this camel hair wrapped around him, an open wound with prickly. You know, I, I can sit on a bale of hay in blue jeans and have something poke me in an uncomfortable way and hear this man in his in his nudity covered with wounds most likely everywhere is wrapped with his camel hair and then out of disrespect he has a crown of thorns fashioned for himself now this the way that thorns grow in this region they're not they're not just necessarily just gigantic logs but they are they are large enough and they're and the vines that grow um thorns in that region the vines themselves are absolutely covered it's not like uh you know one here one there they're just covered and they're going to press that down on his skull. So some of those thorns are going to cut into areas of his head that have already been cut. Some of them are going to puncture skin. You know, I think Mel Gibson's movie depicts one of them poking through his eyebrow. I can't say yes or no on that. But just we just hear that he got a crown of thorns. We don't want to think about the fact that it's pushed into his scalp. And then the Bible tells us that he's made to carry his cross. And again... When I talk about being real with Easter, I think we need to know because it's too pretty. Oh, yeah. The way we normally approach it is too pretty. And just you sitting there talking, you know, I have tears running down my face because it's like so often enough, we don't sit and quietly discuss it like we are right now and put it in in a place where we slow down. We put Easter in a place that's full of people full of color, full of events, full of constantly going and moving and talking. Mm -hmm. And we never take time to sit down. And I hope that this podcast gives everyone a minute to take a step back and really meditate on this. And I'm going to say something else. And please make sure you hear me correctly. I'm not saying saying that the Easter bunny means you and your family are going to hell. I'm not saying that when you have Easter egg hunts, you're just walking hand in hand with the devil. I'm not saying that. But I do believe that the Easter Bunny is so cute and so nice and such an exciting thing. I do believe that the devil has used that to take our attention off of what was actually taking place on the day that we celebrate. So when the Bible tells you that he was carrying his cross through Jerusalem. Now, all of that I'm sharing with you comes from historical reference of how Rome did things. Crucifixion was a common method of execution. It was perfected in the Roman Empire, and it was brutal because it required the person not only to suffer the physical pain of hanging there, but uh, in cases like Jesus's, he's going to fight against suffocation because his body can't hold him. He can't hold himself up to be able to breathe. And so he's dying from pain and blood loss, and he's also trying not to drown, and his heart is no longer able to beat well enough to empty out all of the blood and so his lungs are going to fill up with water. We call that heart failure in, in this day and age. All of these things are going to happen. He's going to start feeling dehydrated from the blood loss. Thus, he asks for something to drink. 
But when you think about him carrying his cross through Jerusalem, and I haven't seen it in a long, long time, but here is a place that I'm fairly certain. I think in the movie that you made reference to, he is carrying an entire physical cross with him. Almost I can guarantee you historically that is not true. So Romans reused crucifixion locations. So Golgotha, Calvary, it was a crucifixion spot that was used not just for Jesus. It wasn't unique to him. So he would have carried what we would call the cross bar of the cross on his back. So he has to carry this big, heavy hunk of wood that he is going to be nailed to. The horizontal piece is most likely going to already be in place at Calvary. They're going to reuse those over and over again. There are different styles of crosses in the Roman culture. The crux simplex literally is just a beam. It's that beam that stays in the ground. And they would have sort of lashed your hands above your head and just kind of tied you down up that way and just left you hanging with your chest and and body exposed to the elements. Just an upright pole. Uh, Crux commissa is a capital T. And it's possible. Sometimes you hear that called the tau. Uh, That's the Greek letter T. That is a possibility for Jesus's cross, the capital T. But we know because it says that Pilate has a sign hung above his head that there had to have been wood above Jesus's head. So the cross is called the crux emissa. That is the Latin cross. And we would say that's shaped sort of like a lowercase t. But the part above his head is not going to be, you know, feet. High. It's going to be inches above that horizontal part. Jesus is going to have his hands nailed to that horizontal crossbeam. He's also going to have his body, his hand, his arms lashed to it, most likely with rope. This is how, and has a lot been studied about how could Jesus have his his body, uh, his hands able to support the weight of his entire body without ripping through the skin. And so many people for a while were like, oh, you know, really, it says that he was nailed in his hand, but really where he would have been nailed was right through his wrist. Well, I want to assure you of two things. One, the gospel authors know the difference between a hand and a wrist. Two, they have different Greek words for those body parts. (laughs) So when it says that they nailed him in his hands, that's where the nails were. But we also know historically now that Romans tied you to the cross because they don't want you to fall. They want you to suffer the pain, but they also need you to stay up there. That's part of the punishment. Adding insult to injury, he's going to have his feet nailed to the cross. Now, there's a lot of debate about how his feet were nailed. Did they kind of stack one foot upon the other? Normally, we have evidence, actual bone uh, um, fossilized bone evidence, that what they probably did was take each foot on either side of that horizontal uh, simplex, that that eye beam up and down, they probably put the left foot on the left side of it and the right foot on the right side of it and then nailed him straight through his ankles so that you can kind of imagine them. He's kind of now straddling basically that. <clears throat> it's most likely somewhere between 50 and 60 degrees outside. And so here I am, the son of God, naked, hanging on this cross, bleeding from every inch of my body, I can't breathe. I don't have the energy to hold myself up. And so as my arms stay stationary, but I begin to slouch over, I can't catch my breath. 
To do that, I have to hold myself up. I need to make my back, my spine erect somehow. And we tend to like to think of him as the superhero type that, you know, he looks at his wound and it automatically heals and he's up there and he just doesn't feel like we feel. But the reason that our religion is what it is, is because of the human sacrifice, God in the flesh, he felt exactly what we would have felt. Mm Mm-hmm. That's and, the big thing. You, we have to realize he wasn't invincible or wasn't, you know, it didn't discriminate against him. The pain level was excruciating. And he doesn't, the night before this, he knows what's coming. And he tells God, the Father, I don't want to do it. Now, we sometimes want to dodge that because it's, it's confusing and it makes us uncomfortable. But the flesh of Jesus was wanting to back out immediately. But then the most beautiful and impactful thing that I think is recorded for us in the midst of this Easter moment, this Passover moment, Jesus says, if it's your will, dad, I don't want to do it. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want be done. I don't want to do this, but I want to do what you want more than what I don't want to do. I'm telling you, the world changes if we even try to think that I way. I want to be that so bad. I mean, I want to be that so bad. So he gets exactly what God had always planned. From Genesis 3.15, when he said that uh, the son of, of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. From that moment, this was what was promised. This what was is what was coming. These nails would have most likely almost been guaranteed to have been reused. So someone else's dried blood and rust is on the nails that are driven into his hand. He has to press, literally, he has to make the decision that breath is so important that he presses down on those ankle bones that have been shattered with the nails driving through them into the cross. He has to press down on those to lengthen his body so that he can try to breathe. And while he survives, it is a constant repetition of this, pushing into the searing pain on his ankles so that he can scratch and cut and rub the open wounds on his back up against that tree so that he can actually take a breath before he slouches back down to relieve the pain on his ankles over and over and over again, naked in the cold. And people begin to throw things at him. This Suffering isn't enough for them. They want him to be humiliated, so they throw stones at this naked, living wound, and then they mock him. Now, I'm going to be honest. There are too many Christians today who want to talk about how persecuted they are, how attacked they are, how they can't share their faith at work or at dinner or in their home because somebody might make them feel uncomfortable. Yet the example of suffering that we've been given is the Messiah having people challenge him and say, now, after everything. You know, healing the blind wasn't enough. Walking on water, anybody could do it. You raised Lazarus from the dead, but I think that was a trick. But now, after all of this, if you're who you really say you are, come down. Come down from there and prove that you're who you are. And Jesus doesn't move. I think a question that ought to be pondered every Easter is, do I understand that he could have come down? 
He is the Christ. He could have come down. In fact, at that Easter egg hunt you were talking about, I got I got asked by the sweet the sweet girls who put the party together if I would give the, a, a little devotional to the kids. And I found on the internet one time this sort of folding paper trick where you fold a piece of paper and long story short, after you tear some pieces off of it, it turns into a cross. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that if it's okay. Oh, I love it. That's my favorite. Great. Well, after I got done, everybody's getting up to go to the next thing. And this little girl comes up to me and I don't know where she goes to church. She was a guest, but she said, did you know that when they crucified Jesus, it wasn't the nails that kept him up there. It was because he loved me. And I was like, you know what? (laughs) You smart kid. In the moments that the Pharisee were telling him, come down and then we'll believe he could have. But his love for them and for you and for me forbid him from doing it. And so he doesn't move. He stays there, pushing himself up, slouching himself down. His mother is watching. And I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time even finding words because, I mean, like that, from the mouth of babes. Oh, you yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. it's just such a beautiful thing that they can understand that. And, and truly, some of us just don't. Right. Then the part that bothers me the most, and I guess that sounds kind of stupid. I mean, <laughs> all of this bothers me plenty. But there is one moment where Jesus interacts with the Father. It is not when he says, why have you forsaken me? By the way, I'd suggest to you just one pastor's opinion. Normally people are taking that out of context. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. He is not necessarily asking the Father why the Father is not with him. Okay? So I know that you've heard perhaps that in that moment God had to turn his back on on Jesus because God turns his back on sin. Well, that's not true because you are sin. And God doesn't turn his back on you. So there's something wrong with our interpretation there. However, if you turn in your Bible at some point to Psalm 22, you will find all sorts of connections with the crucifixion. Like David saying, they cast lots for my clothes. My bones become brittle. I cry out in thirst. And then David says, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is referencing that as a prophetic completion. That psalm was always about me. See, it's what Jesus is in that moment. But anyway, what re- the, the nakedness, the beating, the crucifix, what I know about it is all terrible. But they're spitting at him. They're mocking him. They're throwing things at him. And he has every reason and every right to call down the same fire that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah and just end it. Because in truth, except that God says so, what are we worth saving anyhow? But instead of anger, instead of fire, instead of frustration, the Bible says that Jesus speaks aloud and says, in the middle of all of this, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Now, I think that Easter deserves enough focus that we would consider in that state Jesus was calling for my forgiveness, then it's going to be real hard for the rest of my life for me to justify to that same Jesus why it's okay for me to keep a grudge. Amen. It's going to be real hard for me to stand in front of the Father and tell him why it was okay for me to not make peace with my neighbor or my husband or my whoever. Because the Son of God himself, after all of this, 
was still asking for the Father's forgiveness on our behalf. The Bible then says that ultimately the last thing Jesus will utter from his mouth until his resurrection is tetelestai or tetelestai. Depends on who teaches you Greek, I think. Tetelestai is a business word. Uh, It would have been written on receipts. It means your Bible translated as it is finished. Its literal translation is paid in full. Jesus is crying out because your debt was paid right then. You don't owe anything now. That was why his ultimate purpose was this gruesome, because that's how gruesome your punishment should be. And so before he gives up the ghost, as the old King James says, before he breathes his last, he cries out, paid in full. I haven't left any part of it undone. I've paid for it. And, you know, he didn't cry that out begrudgingly toward us either. No, because it's the same mouth that said, forgive them. Yep. It was a relief that he knew he paid our way. And we literally take everything away and shine the light in every other direction except for on that. And that that's the rub. I don't please don't click uh, off the podcast and think, well, they. They just made me feel real bad about I know about the Easter Bunny and stuff. No, you keep on, okay? But but at least we ought to we owe it to ourselves and our own faith to see that we've replaced the weight of the truth for the cute fancy distraction. I'm I would rather have one over the other, I'll be honest, but I would love that we just work towards having both. Yes. Because I know that there are too many folks who know more about the Easter Bunny than about what I've just shared. That is and the truth. that's the reality. And it's not that it started there. The same stuff that was true about Christmas. You know, Mary probably walked from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Jesus is born where animals go to the bathroom. And he's put in a manger with dried up cow slobber in it. And and the only thing that would have made that thing softer was hay, and I just can't bear the thought of hay pricking on a on a no, baby's newborn skin. Absolutely. All it from that moment, it seemed that it would be marked by difficulty, people rejecting him, people denying him, people seeking his his destruction, and ultimately quote unquote achieving it. And in the midst of all of that, the thing he says the most is forgive, forgive. Because Easter, ultimately, that's all, all of that is, is Thursday night and, and Good Friday. And that crucifixion stuff all happens before Friday evening because Passover was beginning and they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't be executing some guy when the sun had gone down. But we've gone so far from wanting to pay attention to these difficult things that, and I say this with respect, I mentioned, a, uh, I mentioned a day of the Holy Week, uh, Maundy, M-A-U-N-D-Y, Maundy Thursday. I was asking an, a fellow pastor in my community if he had ever had a Maundy Thursday service. Old man, lovely, perfectly wonderful man, good, hardworking ministry uh, that he's had in this area. And he said, what's that? That's not his fault for not knowing it. But see, that's how far gone from that stuff we are. Absolutely. And I just want to take it back. 
I want to, <laughs> I'm going to date this podcast. I want to talk about that more than these stupid shoes that everybody's talking about. Yes. Because I assure you, this musician and his devil shoes, that is not the fall of Christianity. She'd been tripping her way down the steps way before those shoes. I was about to say, she'd been coming down. And and I, I, I made one of those Facebook posts, you know, where you type more than you know anybody's going to read. And I, I even told the, the boss, I said, I just typed this to make myself feel better. <laughs> but, I, I, but I noted in there, <clears throat> nobody's going to wear these into church. No. But they're going to watch pornography before they go to church. Amen. They're That's gonna, exactly. They're going to have, you know, they're going to have had their little affair on Saturday night before, or they're going to be abusive to their loved ones. We're going to ignore, we're going to just shine a big bright light on the obvious that's too far, but we're going to ignore what is also too far. Yes. I, I've said, you know, that the dumbest people out there would know that's not something you would right. be an advocate for, but yet we, we turned a, a, a blind eye to so many other things. And, and, you know, that's, that's, I would love to see us as a society, those of us in listener land, those of you in listener land, and especially for for preacher men and myself who have the opportunity with um, the people at church and, and so many things that we we do on Easter um, here and, and breakfast and the things that go on is to, to make it a point to turn things around. Mm-hmm. And if every single one of us who have the chance to hear this Take a moment and be reverent and be quiet yeah. and and really dwell on it, think on it, meditate on it, and then share it. Make sure that the people that you come in contact with don't have to ask what that what that day means. Don't have to ask what it was that Jesus did. Don't have to look at a painting and question for one second whether or not that's a true depiction of what happened. Right. Let it be on us to tell the truth. Exactly. It's not somebody's job, it's your job. Yes. And we gotta recapture it because for too long those before us were giving it away. That's okay, because we're here to take it back. Amen. And so I encourage you. I know that's probably a somber episode here, but I think it, it, it's, it so much matters, because when I look at how vile and disgusting it, it was to buy me from my punishment, then I can't see those little tiny ignored sins in the same way anymore, because I see the vileness of the price. And so my desire to avoid them increases a hundredfold because no, 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 <laughs> I know what it took to stop that, to and get me away from that. absolutely realize that he did the same thing, the same exact thing for your neighbor and you want to scoop them up and bring them with you. Yep. It's no longer step on who you have to step on to climb your way to the top. Nah. It is tie them on and drag them with you. Exactly. The top ain't worth it, but being with him is. So yes. guys, I encourage you, maybe... Maybe this is one of the ones you need to listen to again. I, I don't know, um, but I encourage you, maybe do some of your own looking and thinking and, and meditating. Townsend mentioned the movie The Passion of the Christ. Now, that's one of those kind of movies you got to read because it's in ancient Aramaic and Latin. Uh, so <laughs> you're, not, you're most likely, I'm not going to know what they're saying, and you might not, might not either. So you got to read it, but it is probably put to film the closest reflection of what scourging and crucifixion would have been like. But even it has, you know, I could point to you and be like, hey, look, that's not exactly what they would have done probably. But it was disgusting. And yet it was beautiful. Yes. And the beauty is Easter Sunday. The beauty is the empty tomb. The beauty is why are you looking for the living among the dead? Look at the life that you've been given. Look at the life that Jesus Christ took up on your behalf 
And then live like it. Live like you know this. Live like you own this because you can and you do when your faith is in him. Amen. You belong to that king. We want you to have a happy Easter. I hope whatever celebrations you might have, that you just have them and you do so with safety and a great deal of love. We love you from wherever you are and wherever we are. We are united just through the power of the internet and your willingness to be a part of our community. For that, we thank you. We thank you for every one of you out there sharing it and encouraging folks to be a part. You are, you bless us just with a, a larger family. And for that, we're grateful. Happy Easter to all of you. In the midst of all of that, remember our greatest opportunity is to do something kind for someone else because of the kindness Jesus showed us. And what better time to be reminded of that kindness Amen. than right now. Easter Sunday. Have a happy Easter, guys. We look forward to seeing you next week. But until then, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Y'all. Musings with Townsend and Preacher Man is a podcast dedicated to encouraging you as you think and start your own discussions at home about God and the Christian worldview. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a five-star rating on the platform of your choice and share our podcast with folks you know. If you need to get in touch with Townsend or Preacher Man, you can email either of them at mtpm.podcast at gmail.com.